0: You're listening to the Magnum version of the Savage Lovecast, www.savagelovecast.com. If
1: you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony,
2: well, there's nothing you can't have on the Savage Lovecast.
3: Diapers. Not my thing. I have things, my own things, but diapers are not on my list of, you know, things. But I get it. I can wrap my head around how someone's erotic imagination might land on or land in diapers. Most kings are about power. Most of us dread and therefore can't help but fantasize about powerlessness, and diapers obviously symbolize a stage in life when we were profoundly powerless. And our fetishes form actually pretty early in life. Sex researcher Samuel Hughes, who has studied kinks and fetishes and their formation, describes early inklings towards kink typically taking place before the age of 10. An attraction, a draw, a fascination, often without the words or concepts to understand it, and often without sexual arousal. And while we don't understand why one person's erotic imagination might seize on diapers while another person's doesn't, It's not like that other person, that person whose erotic imagination didn't seize on diapers, is off the hook. Their erotic imagination was busy seizing on something else. Turns out there's just no way to control for the effect seemingly random objects, materials, fabrics, and power dynamics can have on us. You know, we used to think tools, language, morality, empathy, even culture were uniquely human traits. And we know now that they're not. They have all been observed in other animals. But you don't see squirrels running around in latex cat suits carrying riding crops. Kinks may be the only uniquely human trait we have left. Anyway, I was thinking about diapers and the adults who wear them this weekend, not because they have to, like our current president is rumored to, but because they like to, like former Senator David Vitter of Louisiana is rumored to. Because apparently, allegedly, a 29 year old man in New Orleans named Rory was using babysitting apps to hire home health care workers to look after his, quote, profoundly disabled 19-year-old brother, Corey. Rory told the women he hired using this babysitting app that his developmentally challenged brother Corey would need to have his diapers changed. And the women became suspicious after Corey was visibly aroused during diaper-changing sessions and because Rory, who paid them via the app, was never around when they dropped by to look after Corey. And that was because there is no Corey, the 19-year-old disabled brother. There is only Rory, the 29-year-old diaper fetishist with a trust fund. Rory, Rutledge Diaz IV, was arrested on Friday and charged with 10 counts of sexual battery and 10 counts of human trafficking, which is ridiculous since he wasn't trafficking anyone. Apparently now tricking someone into performing sex work without actually moving that person from one location to another and without coercing that person into performing sex acts against their will, although tricking is kind of coercive. That counts as human trafficking now, which just points to the fact that human trafficking is a meaningless label people will slap on anything. Anyway, the question a lot of people were asking and asking me, I got links from several listeners this weekend, about the case was, why didn't Rory just hire a sex worker, Rory wouldn't be facing up to 100 years in prison right now if he'd hired one of the escorts that former Senator David Vitter is alleged to have hired. An adult woman more than willing to change a visibly aroused adult man's diaper for the right price. The answer seems obvious to me. The average home health care worker makes less than $10 an hour, which isn't against the law, but should be. That seems to me the real scandal here. While an hour with a dominatrix, a professional dom, usually starts somewhere around $250 an hour. Rory probably knew that sex workers were an option. He lives in New Orleans. He just wanted to get his sex work done. He wanted to get his diapers changed at a bargain rate. And now he's paying the price. All right, coming up on today's show on the micro edition of the Savage Love Cast, tons of your cues. Lots of my as and some ads. And on the Magnum Edition of the Savage Lovecast, which you can subscribe to at SavageLovecast.com. Twice as much show, more questions and guests and no ads. Midori joins us to talk about female dominance, all that coming up on today's show. Oh, and by the way, happy Thanksgiving, everyone.
4: Hi, Dan and the tech savvy at-risk youth. Uh, I am a 41-year-old male on the East Coast. I've uh, just recently been engaged to a wonderful woman, and uh, this is my second marriage. Uh, my first marriage ended amicably. The officiant for that wedding was a friend of mine who got himself ordained on the internet and performed our ceremony and has gone on to perform many more ceremonies and actually kind of prides himself on doing it. So my fiance and I were talking about it, and she has met him, and she thinks he's a cool guy. And uh, thinks it would be a great idea to have him officiate our wedding as well. Um, the only issue I have is I don't know like how I'm supposed to communicate that to my ex-wife. We are we divorced amicably. We are in regular communication, but it was kind of a unique aspect of our wedding, and I I don't know I don't know if if it's something I should feel like I need to clear with her because it was kind of a unique aspect of our wedding, and I I don't want her to feel like I'm I'm co-opting something that she and I had for something that I have now. If you have any advice about this, I would be real interested to hear it.
3: A friend who gets ordained online so they can perform your wedding ceremony, that doesn't strike me as a terribly unique phenomenon. That happens all the time. I know tons of people who've gotten ordained so they could perform their friend's wedding ceremonies. And I know tons of people who've gotten married and had friends get ordained online so they could perform their friend's wedding ceremonies. That doesn't seem absent some other details that perhaps you didn't share. A terribly unique feature of your wedding. It does strike me as, you know, this sort of cultural Catholic superstitious guy, a little jinxy, to have the same officiant at your second wedding who performed your first wedding. That doesn't have anything to do with your wife, though, your ex-wife. Your ex-wife doesn't get veto power over the incidents of your next wedding ceremony. I assume there are going to be other things about your next wedding that echo your first. I imagine that there will be guests and music and cake and the exchange of rings, all sorts of things that you had at your first wedding you will have at your second wedding. The only person I could imagine objecting or having reasonable grounds to object to having the same person perform the wedding is your fiancé, is your future spouse. And if she doesn't have a problem with it, if she likes your friend, if she would like him to perform this ceremony, then I say go for it. If you're worried your ex-wife might have a feeling about it and you value your relationship, you could reach out to your ex-wife and just share with her the fact that you're going to do this and see if she has a feeling about it. If she does, well, maybe you could... Pick somebody else, which is what I would urge you to do, not because your ex-wife has a feeling or your fiance has a feeling, but because your sex and relationship podcast host has a feeling, and I feel that this is really weirdly jinxy. But that's just me. I'm a superstitious guy. I cross myself on airplanes. Maybe you shouldn't listen to me about this. Maybe you should listen to, I don't know, your fiance.
5: Hi, Dan, Nancy, and the Tech Savvy at Rescue. I am a 53-year-old female, married to my husband for 13 years, second marriage for both of us. We are monogamish, occasionally play with other couples. In the past, we've always done so together, but we've recently opened up our marriage for solo play. And everything's been fine, no problems thus far. About two months ago, my husband went to his high school class reunion and reconnected with an old friend. They didn't sleep together at that time, but they've been texting back and forth every day since then. He tells me that she's unhappily married and has not had sex in seven years, and he asks me if he can go have sex with her. I immediately said, sure, no problem, even though it breaks one of our rules, which is no overnights, but in order for him to do this, he would have to go out of town, and that isn't really the issue. The issue is this isn't some random female from his school. This is his high school sweetheart. They were each other's first loves and lost their virginities to each other, and there's a big history there. And even though I immediately said, sure, no problem, I am having second thoughts. He keeps telling me I have nothing to worry about. I'm his love. You know, this is just for fun, blah, blah, blah. But I'm really apprehensive. So my question is, should I take back my permission for him to go and fuck her? Because they have a history. I guess I'm worried she may catch feelings for him. since She's unhappily married and they have a history and all. So anyway, I'm not really sure what to do. I haven't been able to stop thinking about this. Usually when he goes off with people, I have no problem with it, but this seems, I don't know, a little squicky.
3: My first reaction, literally the first thing I wrote down while listening to your call was, well, that would be a mitzvah. Allowing your husband to go have sex with this woman, to spend the night with this woman who's in a sexless marriage and you sharing your husband with her and not breaking the rules because he didn't ask you for permission to break the rules. He asked you for a revision, at least in this case, of the rules, which was permission for that overnight. And you granted that permission. So there's no rule breaking here. You guys have already been through several stages of rule revision, used to only play together. Now you sometimes get to play solo. That doesn't mean you're breaking your old rules. That means you revised the rules and you have new rules. But then you got to the part of the call where this is his former high school sweetheart, the person he lost his virginity to, she lost his virginity to him. And that kind of, for obvious reasons, raises the emotional stakes here. There are lots of stories out there on the internet, on news sites about people who reconnected with old high school or college sweethearts via Instagram or Twitter or Facebook, fucked those people and then left their current spouses for those people. So I can understand why you're feeling a little conflicted about the permission that you are already granted. The internet is also full of stories of people who had solo random sex with one person, as your husband is allowed to do, and left their spouse for that person, that rando that they had sex with so while it's perfectly understandable why you feel the stakes are higher here the current rules your current rules that would you currently allow for typically doesn't protect you necessarily from the being left for somebody else thing obviously you're having these feelings and you need to go to your husband and have them addressed and if you have veto power generally over his outside sexual contacts and he has veto power over yours well, you may need to throw down that veto or he may need to I- explain more to you about this woman's situation. Perhaps there are details that would make you more comfortable with the granting of the mitzvah of allowing your husband to have sex with this woman who is in this sexless marriage and is unhappy. This woman that he does have this history with and that history for you is a red flag and is problematic and he needs to talk about it. And he needs to address it with you. But it's possible that the marriage is sexless but loving. It's it's possible that she is dependent on her husband or her husband is dependent on her in such a way that leaving isn't possible. She's 13 years into this sexless marriage, hasn't had sex for 13 years. There's a reason she stays in the marriage and it can't just be that there's no other dick in the world except for your husband's dick. So perhaps being acquainted with the reasons that she stays would make you feel more comfortable about allowing your husband to spend one night with her and to reconnect with her this one time. Also a thing that happens, sometimes you hook up with somebody you hooked up with 10, 15, 20 years ago. Sometimes you hook up with somebody you hooked up with three months ago and you had a really strong connection. And when you hook up with them again, it's just not there anymore. But again, you know, lots of stories out there on the internet about people hooking up with old college or high school sweethearts and running off with them. That's not a graveyard we want to whistle past, but it's also not the only graveyard out there that we need to worry about. And you guys have managed to navigate your way around several very crowded graveyards, the playing with other people solo, the opening the relationship up in the first place, which is a too great a risk for many couples to even contemplate and the previous revisions to your rules. So Your feelings are rational. You are entitled to your feelings. Your husband has a responsibility to address them with you, to discuss them with you, and offer what he can to you to set you at ease, to address your concerns, to make you feel better and more secure allowing for this. And ultimately, if you don't feel better or more secure allowing for this, then you have, based on my understanding of the rules of your open relationship, you have an absolute right to throw down that veto.
1: Hey Dan, cis female here. I'm 30 years old, and I have a question about
0: condoms. I personally find them very uncomfortable and almost painful, but I would like to keep sex safe for me and my partners.
6: Um, is there anything that I can do to make them more comfortable? Is that
7: possible?
3: First things first, you should find out if you have a latex allergy. Talk to your doctor about whether you have a latex allergy. There's a blood test. That a doctor can do to determine whether you have a latex allergy if you don't have a latex allergy you may just be sensitive to latex in which case using a lot more lube if you're relying only on the very tiny bit of lube on the condom and your own natural lubrication that may not be enough so get a big bottle of lube put it by the bed and add more lube as needed there's also the option of the female condom, putting the male condom on the penis and then the penis thrusting in and out of you during intercourse, particularly if you go for a very long time, that could contribute to the discomfort that you described, particularly if you aren't using more lube. And again, adding more lube might solve this problem. But if it doesn't, you might want to think about shifting to a female condom. Female condoms are made of polyurethane and the dick slides in and out of the condom. So if you have a latex sensitivity or a latex allergy, female condom won't. Trigger that, and if it's the dick moving in and out with the condom on it, that's you know causing this pain or discomfort. The dick moves in and out of the polyurethane female condom; it doesn't drag the condom back and forth across those sensitive areas. So, first things first, talk to a doctor to determine if you have a latex allergy. Second thing, second, add a lot more lube. That doesn't work. Try a female condom for safety.
8: Hi, Dan. I am a woman who's been in a relationship with another woman for five months. She was separated, and she's now in the middle of a divorce. My husband, slash ex, offered his sperm to us if we want to have kids, question mark, followed by, he just wants to have more kids, and an air of nonchalance. First of all, we had not discussed this with one another, whether or not we wanted to have kids, and it was offensive to me that she brought it up in such a way. My question is, what do you do with this kind of statement? It feels like a violation to my body for her husband to be superimposing himself on our relationship and trying to spread his seed. What do you do with this? Please help.
3: There are two people with terrible judgment in this situation. First, your girlfriend's soon to be ex-husband who made this offer and your girlfriend who relayed the offer, your girlfriend should have had the sense to say to her ex or soon to be ex husband, it's a little premature to even be discussing. This. <laughs> Why are you trying to introduce your semen into my new same sex relationship? We're still working our way out of this marriage and you have designs on my nascent next relationship. Shut the fuck up. Put your dick back in your pants. I'm not interested in having more kids at the moment. Not even sure I would want to have more kids with this woman that I barely know at five months. That your girlfriend, instead of shutting her soon-to-be ex-husband down, ran to you and said, Oh, hey, you know, if we decide to have kids, my ex-husband would like to be the biological father. I don't want to describe that as disqualifying. You know, divorce is a, a pressure cooker. And your girlfriend, this woman that you're dating who's in the process of divorcing her spouse is under a lot of pressure and maybe she blurted that out or maybe she laid that information instead of shutting her husband down because she's emotionally exhausted and her filters aren't working and she wasn't demonstrating good judgment in which case when you tell her that you were a little bit offended by this or it just seemed strange i don't want to round it up to a violation of your person or body. That seems a little much to round it up to a violation, but definitely it was not anything you needed to be informed of. Definitely. It was an offer that shouldn't have been relayed. Definitely. It was too soon and it's making you doubt your girlfriend's common sense. Good judgment. I I bang away about that. I think good judgment is really important when we're auditioning long-term partners. I think we look to them and we look for evidence that they demonstrate good judgment and high emotional IQ. And in this case, your girlfriend demonstrated poor judgment and low emotional IQ. Maybe she gets a pass because she's in the process of getting divorced and under a lot of stress. She gets that pass. If she sees why this was fucked up and apologizes to you and doesn't instantly relay to you any future, terrible ideas that her ex-husband might have. Hi, Dan
2: 33 year old cis lesbian living in the Rocky mountains. I just got out of a long-term relationship. Recently, I met a girl during a social event for our queer club. We have been flirting pretty heavily and had made plans to watch a movie together. The day before said meetup, she let me know that she had a boyfriend. But she also let me know that she was allowed to see women casually, but had not acted on it before. Where I am right now, I said, cool, sounds great. We met up and had a really wonderful night. I asked her if they were don't ask, don't tell. And she said no, he wants to hear all the details. I didn't really know how to feel about that since it's my private story too, but whatever. Anyways, the next day she invited me to go to the hot springs with her and her partner and then inviting me was his idea. What's going on here? Am I being lured into a three way? Is he just trying to show how cool he is with the situation or is he sizing me up? She knows that I'm super not into dudes and wouldn't be into seeing a schlong during sex. Am I being weird by wanting to keep this separate?
3: He wants to watch. At the very least, he wants to watch. He may also want to be watched if you're getting into a hot spring with him and his girlfriend, and you have a sexual relationship with his girlfriend, and the idea is for you to get it on with his girlfriend. The odds that he's going to want to pull out his dick and at least stroke it in your presence are about a hundred percent. Be clear about your boundaries. Tell her that you're interested in her, but you are not interested in hanging out with her and her boyfriend in a situation where you're all going to be undressed and it's kind of sensual. You'd be happy to go to the hot springs with her alone. Maybe you'd be happy to go have dinner sometime with the two of them, but you are not going places with them. Hot springs, (laughs) bedrooms, swingers clubs, but you're not going places with them where all three of you are going to be undressed. And you're not going to put yourself in a circumstance where you will feel pressured to perform for him. You're comfortable with what you're comfortable with, that this girl that you're seeing casually for sex has a boyfriend. You're comfortable, retroactively comfortable, with her relaying the details to him, which I think is perfectly legitimate in an open relationship and something that people who sleep with people who have partners should realize is – Something that people in open relationships often do, it's not always d a d t sometimes it's s e g d d w m sherry goddamn detail with me, but yeah, definitely don't go hot tubbing with this couple if you don't want to be put in a circumstance where they may have expectations and you may feel pressured dinner, yes, maybe sometime, hot tub nope, definitely, never ever.
7: hi, Dan. I am a twenty eight year old poly queer woman living in uh, on the East Coast. One of my partners who I'm sort of falling for and developing more feelings for has expressed that he doesn't feel like I share enough um, and I don't rely on him enough for emotional support and that that is making him feel like I'm not truly committing to this relationship. It is true that when we hang out, I'm a big question asker, and I, I, you know, I, I provide emotional support for things that he has going on. He's had rough gear, and I think he allows himself to be vulnerable when he's around me. But then he feels self-conscious about being that person in the relationship when he feels like I am not opening myself as much to him. Here's the thing, though. I don't think I need as much emotional support. I also think, I'm just fine. I'm doing okay. And I'm starting to find myself (laughs) almost making up issues and making, I don't know, he's asked me how I am. And the other day I answered oh, it's really hard. I'm really overwhelmed. And that wasn't exactly true. Anyway, any insight you have on that? Is there something wrong with me that I just don't need that as much?
3: Beware people who can't take no for an answer, regardless of what the question might be. No, I don't want to have sex. No, I don't want to do that. No, I don't want to have Italian food tonight. No, I don't need a ton of emotional support right now. I'm actually doing pretty good. You're the one who's, you know, have been having a tough time and I'm here for you and that's fine. You know, I may need emotional support. You may need emotional support caller at some point down the road and then he can be there for you. Then when you need him in the way you've been able to be there for him now in the way he needed you to be, it doesn't have to be a tit for tat immediate exchange of uh, emotional support Yeah. Beware the person who can't take no for an answer regardless of the question. Also, beware the person who thinks that a relationship, particularly a new relationship and a poly relationship, someone who has other partners of longer standing that that they may understandably turn to first for emotional support, demands this kind of emotional engagement. It's a little bit like rushing the commitment. You should be enjoying each other's company. You pay into that joy bank and then when life gets tough, you draw out emotional support. And I'm always wary of people who think that a brand new relationship could or should bear the weight of basically that person being a hugely important part of your support system early. That's something you earn gradually over time when you prove to someone that – they can trust you with that stuff. And just a few weeks in, a new relationship, poly or otherwise, yeah, the proof isn't there. That'll come in time. Beware people who don't take no an answer regardless this question. Beware people who want to rush that relationship process, that gradual earning of that position in your life where they are an important part of your emotional support system. Tell him for you he's not there yet are honored that he feels that for him, you are already there. And at the moment you don't really have a crisis that you need a lot of support handling. But if in time you guys are still together a year or two from now and you do hit the wall, you do hit that crisis and you feel comfortable turning to him, reassure him that you will.
1: Hi, Dan. I'm a transsexual female living in the Northwest. And I have a question about kink play. So, a potential partner of mine is pregnant, and we were just wondering if we could still participate in kink play while she is pregnant. We we're just wondering if that is safe.
3: People can have sex when they're pregnant. People can have vanilla sex when they're pregnant. People can have kinky sex when they're pregnant. If blows to the abdomen were an important part of your kink practice and your kink connection, and I can't imagine that they were, there's not a lot of kink scenes you see out there anywhere that involve using a riding crop on someone's abdomen. Then you may have to put those on the back burner for now. No blows to the abdomen, no stress on the abdomen during the pregnancy. But somebody having their hands tied behind their back, somebody having their butt paddled, somebody having their tits clamped, that presents no risk and you can engage in those sorts of kink practices without worry or guilt. And just as they say that our largest sex organ is between our ears, when it comes to BDSM, to dom-sub sex, to role play, I I think that goes double. The most important sex organ is between your ears. You can indulge in all sorts of dom-sub, BDSM sex play that engages the erotic imagination more than it engages the physical body. If that makes your partner more comfortable for the moment or makes you more comfortable for the moment.
6: Hi, Dan. Bisexual cisgendered female from the Pacific Northwest, Colin here, and I was just thinking back to my college days where I had a very sexy uh, lesbian encounter with one of my uh, classmates. We were at a private Christian school where drinking and uh, any sexual activity, let alone uh, gay sexual activity, was not allowed. Um, but one night we had a couple of drinks and she was staying the night and telling me all these sexy stories and started masturbating next to me in bed. And so we ended up making out a little bit and I fingered her for a little bit, but thought it wasn't working for her and seemed kind of uncomfortable. And we stopped the next day. Uh, she was MIA from campus and this was like the day of finals. So it was very weird that she wasn't there. And I called everywhere and we had been great friends for the last year and no one was telling me where she was or what was going on. Uh, And turns out she had reported that she was raped the night before. Long story short, I felt really hurt by the situation at the time. But now as an adult, almost 10 years later, I realized that a lot of the things that I heard her say, like she was drunk and that Uh, She was uncomfortable and all these things really sound like a lot of the rhetoric I've heard around the Me Too movement. And I am a victim of the Me Too movement as well. And so I feel suddenly that I maybe made her feel like she was raped, even though I didn't think that that was what was happening um, at the time, because I also was very naive and didn't um, know what I was doing. I'm curious if you think that I owe her an apology, because I'm starting to feel like I maybe do because I didn't really ask her for consent before putting my fingers in her body and um I felt her tense up and yes we did stop, but clearly based on her reaction the next day, she felt very violated by that and I have never apologized. Should I dig up this old skeleton or should I leave it alone?
3: So I, I listened to your call a couple of times and I wanted to ask you a couple questions, if I could. Yeah. You were going to a private, small Christian college where drinking and being queer was against the rules, right? Yeah. And I assume, therefore, that you were the product of uh, probably a Christian upbringing, Christian high school, where there wasn't sex education.
6: Yeah. So I was raised super conservatively. And then... Um, I did like have a rebellion phase in high school where I, you know, um, I went to a public high school, but um, it was very dramatic. My parents pulled me out because Mm -hmm. they found out I lost my virginity and, you know, that whole scene. So this was like kind of me coming back to my faith, going to the school, but it actually turned out that going to that school um, solidified me leaving my faith.
3: And and the, and the, woman that you had this encounter with she was also the product of probably abstinence education and a christian upbringing and and wound up at this christian school yes and, and thinking about this encounter you were both drunk you both had something to drink Mm-hmm. you were together in your dorm room is that right
6: no we
3: were at my grandma's house okay you're at your grandma's house <laughs> And you began to tell each other dirty stories and she began to masturbate and then you two began to make out. I'm just trying to like track what happened.
6: Yeah, so she was like telling me about this guy that she had a crush on and like how she masturbated at like school with a, with a roommate because she was at the dorms. Mm-hmm. And um, so then like that was hot to listen to. And so then she's kind of started doing it and then we started making out. And I had been drinking because I was over 21, Um, but she was, like, 20. And she had told me that she, like, drank at home because her family was Italian. But, like, she, when I later talked to her about it, said that she got drunk off of that wine, like, way faster. And she was actually, like, sick the next morning. But, like... We only had like two glasses of wine, so I think I was a little bit more coherent than she was, but I didn't realize it at the time.
3: And was she telling you at the time that she was drunk and uncomfortable?
6: No, not at all. I got the sense that she was a little uncomfortable when I first started fingering her, because she was like, oh, that's not how I do that. And I was like, oh, okay, well, tell me if you don't like it. And then we did it for like a little bit, and then she was like, yeah, it's not working, and then I stopped.
3: Okay, so... I think you need to let yourself off the hook a little bit. Okay. You know, the, the odds that she struggled with biphobia or homophobia, considering her upbringing, and that you also struggle mm-hmm. with those same things, considering yours, uh, are pretty high. It would have been mm-hmm. wonderful if you had both had comprehensive sex educations that acknowledged the existence of queer people and queer sex and that mm-hmm. really emphasized the importance of obtaining. Ongoing enthusiastic consent, particularly as Mm -hmm. things escalate to physical contact. You guys didn't get those kinds of sex educations. Yeah. It sounds to me like you were having an encounter that escalated in the way, you know, people, sexual encounters tend to escalate where you two were hanging out and then you were talking to each other. And then, you know, she began to masturbate. You two began to make out. Then you progressed to petting and fingering She expressed discomfort, and it wasn't working, and you stopped, right? Yeah. That sounds like you guys hit a wall. That doesn't sound like you sexually assaulted someone. Ideally, the discomfort, the unpleasantness for her could have been avoided, and your guilt Mm -hmm. could have been avoided, had like verbal consent benefit, th- had you known, had you been educated to obtain v- verbal consent, what happened for her the next day as a queer person sounds to me like the kind of freak out a lot of people have who are closeted or conflicted about their same-sex desires after their first same-sex encounter. Yeah. She didn't want to see you ever again. And she disappeared herself and, you know, that she reported that she had been raped but there were no consequences for you? She didn't report that you had raped her?
6: Well, she told she told the school, and I got kicked out.
3: <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. You didn't include that detail.
6: <laughs> yeah. So it was um, – she didn't tell the school that I raped her, but she told the school that she had an encounter with me and that we drank. She kept the story that she was raped by a man, actually. Um, but I had been with her the next day and drove her into school. And then like, she didn't show up to our first class within the hour. So like for her to say that she was raped by a man the night before, there was no time for that to have happened. But then when I went to register for classes for the fall, the school called me because it like, wouldn't let me register. And they were like, well, we heard about this encounter and you can go through redemptive therapy with the school or you can not come back.
0: And so I didn't go back.
3: (laughs) This sounds to me like she had, she freaked out. You know, maybe she did have some encounter with a man. Maybe she, you know, she said that she was raped. Believe women, benefit of the doubt. Maybe she was, there was something else that happened. Or maybe yeah. she felt violated by you, but didn't want to report to the school that she'd had a same sex encounter, didn't want to go into the details of it because Brian. she was up to some point a willing participant or an initiating participant in the same sex encounter she had with you so there may be a lot of reasons around homophobia and shame particularly in this Mm -hmm. environment that she didn't want to go into it or didn't want to give the details as they existed or made up some other story potentially yeah all of this you know backing up into like whether you should contact her now and reach out to her now what do you know about her now
6: um i know that she's married to a man and um lives like back home like in her home state but that's literally all I know about her. I don't know like religiously or anything if there's something there. I just like I don't know I think about like I've had I've been sexually assaulted and um I just know like how fucking awful that was and I think about if I made her feel that way, like how shitty that would be. Like I don't want her to think that like I mm-hmm. like had like malintent towards her in that experience you know
3: how would you feel if someone who had sexually assaulted you reached out to you to apologize
6: i've thought about it because i grew up in a small town and so like a lot of people i know know this guy so i like see him in like you know my like facebook post not because i follow him but because he's like friends with my other friends mm-hmm. and um i don't know there's a part of me that just like wants him to admit it because I don't think that he would. Um, but like, yeah, I guess it kind of would bring up a lot of really intense shit if he tried
3: to talk to me. But would it be healing? Would it be if he came to you and said, I want to take responsibility for this thing that I did and I'm terribly sorry and I try to do better now and I'm conscious now of things I wasn't conscious of then. And I feel terrible. Would that be a helpful thing for you to hear?
6: I think that would be helpful for me to hear just because like I've gone to a ton of fucking therapy for that. And like, I've moved on Mm -hmm. like in my life, but like to believe that like people understand the impact that they have and on other people in this world, especially in relation to that. And then the world we live in with like me too, it would just, I think it would be like profoundly healing to know that he cared and like grew
3: have you ever thought about contacting him?
6: I almost did, actually, when the whole um, Kavanaugh thing was happening. I, like, wrote a big letter, and I, like, brought it to my therapist for her to read it. She's like, I think just writing this letter was healing enough for you. You can give it to him or not, and I didn't. Um, but, yeah, I definitely – I wrote the letter.
3: <laughs> okay, there's one thing you have to weigh before you, you contact this woman. If she is by or if she is a you know deeply closeted lesbian she could yeah. have a reaction to hearing from you that is you know informed by that you know that, mm-hmm. that that what's reacting to you is not anger or shame or upset about the event itself but what it dredges up about her sexuality and her conflict about her sexuality if she is indeed conflicted about her sexuality which is possible considering her upbringing and where she lives and how she lives now. Right. Yeah. So you have to consider that before you reach out for her, that you might get a reaction that isn't about the, the the trauma of that event. If indeed she lives with trauma from that event, but about the the, the trauma of her own biphobia or homophobia and, and, and the closet that she may live in. And, you know, hearing from you may make her feel threatened, may make her, you know, feel outed if only to herself. Right. Depending on how deeply she's attempted to bury this. So, Mm -hmm. you know, my advice to you would be if this is only for you, only to make you feel better, I wouldn't Mm -hmm. reach out to her. Right. Because the risks for her, if this is, you know, if if your motives are, you want, if, if she feels terrible about this to make her feel better too, or primarily, or that's your top concern, your chief concern. Yeah. The closet has to be considered and, and the reaction yeah. that people can have when, you know, they are deeply closeted to hearing from someone who knows a truth about them that they live in denial of or have attempted to bury or to or don't want to think about. That mm-hmm. that can inflict its own kind of trauma. Right.
6: Yeah, she's like settled in her life, you know, like married and stuff so like bringing this up could definitely like judge up some stuff maybe
3: and so if it's if it's for you to make you feel better don't yeah if you think you know based on the fact that you still have some like two degrees of separation or one degree of separation contact with her because she's still like embedded in your hometown right yeah
6: yeah we still have like overlapping friends from from going to college but like i don't have to see her talk to her
3: yeah you have to use your best judgment
6: Yeah, I think that maybe I think about it more than she does just because like I feel like I maybe like inflicted something on her. But like if she's not even traumatized from it, like, I mean, she has trauma from like her upbringing and all of that, but maybe not necessarily
3: from the... I want to let you off the hook a little bit. Yes, everyone should obtain verbal and enthusiastic and ongoing consent during a sexual encounter. That is something that more people are aware of now than we're aware of a decade ago.
6: Yeah. And for sure that this has been a long time ago too.
3: And and what you describe hanging out, talking to each other, you know, beginning to masturbate, which she initiated making out and then petting and digital pen. That's the kind of like, what people used to think of as sort of a, a the natural flow of a, a first time sexual encounter. Yeah. And so for sure, you know, ideally there would be verbal consent. You did it the way people did it then and the way many people still do it now. And you stopped when it became clear, even though you were impaired and she was impaired, you stopped when it became uncomfortable, when it was clearly uncomfortable <laughs> So in a way, for the mores of that time, you kind of did everything right.
7: Okay.
3: But we now know that, you know, the the mores of that time weren't ideal and a lot of people wound up getting hurt because the natural progression, so-called, I'm doing little air quotes, you know, the natural (laughs) progression of a sexual encounter sometimes swept a person along – and got them to a point where they were uncomfortable, and if they'd had a moment to opt in or opt out if they'd been asked, they would have opted out they would have opted out before they felt violated, which is right. why verbal ongoing enthusiastic consent is so important as we now emphasize yeah definitely that 's better than things sort of unfolding spontaneously or just letting it happen no no no, no no. It unfolds spontaneously. We just let it happen. Sometimes you get to a point where you realize that the person that it's happening with is unhappy, uncomfortable, and feels violated, and then you feel terrible. Right? Yeah. Of course, the yeah. person who feels violated feels terrible, but, but also the person who's you know in the position of having violated someone else, if that person is a good person and a decent person with a conscience, will also feel terrible and carry that guilt with them all their lives, as you have done. Yeah. But what you describe, if it happened the way you described it, you should yeah. feel something. You should feel. You should be aware, and it sounds like you are. And it sounds like you would never again err on the side of just letting it happen. It sounds like yeah. you're the kind of person now who would obtain consent at every yeah. point of escalation in an encounter, rather than just you know beginning to digitally penetrate someone. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you need to let yourself off the hook a little bit.
6: <sighs> Thank you. I appreciate you.
3: You are not the person who assaulted you. Yeah. Fuck that guy. <laughs> yeah. Fuck that guy. All right. Good luck.
6: Thank you. Have a good day. Bye.
8: Hi, Dan. I am a 40 year old, uh, mostly straight woman in Southern California. I'm in a awesome relationship with a really great guy. We have a really good thing. It's fun, loving, sweet, Um, just having a really good time with him. And there's something that I have always struggled with my whole life that I would love to be able to do with him, which is talking during sex. I just can't do it. It's like I totally clam up and it's really frustrating because I am really expressive in other areas of my life. I don't have a problem expressing myself Um, except really when I'm in bed. And part of it is I'm just not comfortable with a lot of the word options, like to describe sexual stuff. Like I would never say my pussy or my clit. I just like, it sounds horrible. Like I don't mind if other people say stuff like that to me, but just for myself, it's just not me. It's not authentic. And it always feels like raunchy or dirty or something like that. And I would really love to be able to figure out a way that I could be more expressive with my boyfriend in a way that reflects like our relationship, the sweetness and the loving um, aspect of it. And really, I just want to be able to explore the intimacy that we already have together and not feel, you know, held back and feel like I have a little bit of freedom in this area. So if you have any advice, I would love to hear back from you.
3: You seem to assume that all dirty talk must be vulgar. And that's not the case. You can be vulgar, you can say sort of dirty raunchy things to each other, and that works for a lot of people, and that's loving. You describe your relationship as loving, and you people can engage in very down and dirty and vulgar talk during sex doesn't mean their relationships aren't loving, but you can also just be simply descriptive and and, and verbal and use whatever words that you're comfortable with. Using, you know, when it comes to dirty talk, for being more comfortable with dirty talk, or or feel awkward about it, my standing advice is to tell them what you're gonna do, tell them what you're doing, tell them what you did. I am gonna fuck the shit out of you. I am fucking the shit out of you. I fucked the shit out of you. But you can engage in that tell them what you're gonna do, tell them what you're doing, tell them what you did style of dirty talk without it being as vulgar as my go-to example. Gonna fuck you. Fucking you. Fucked you. You can say, I'm going to make love to you. I can't wait to feel and touch your body. I can't wait for you to be inside me. You can use all sorts of expressions that are not at all vulgar and that reflect the tenderness of your relationship and be verbal and be verbalizing and be talking and be connecting in that way. I can't wait to have you inside me. Oh my God, you feel so good inside me. Oh my God, you felt so good inside me. You can tell him what you're going to do or tell him what he's going to do. Tell him what you're doing or he's doing and then tell him what you did or he did that can work also pot pot can work pot can help if you feel self-conscious engaging in dirty talk pot i recommend it in almost all circumstances for almost all things so you can discount that if you think that's just my pro pot bias and finally you know if your partner's the one who's interested in being verbal during sex you can shift responsibility for it to him he can be the one who talks he can also be the one who asks you questions you know, often when there's a conflict about dirty talk, and it doesn't have to be dirty, it can be loving, tender talk during sex, it's because one person wants it and the other person just feels uncomfortable or awkward. And in that case, the person who wants it can take responsibility for wanting it and make it a dialogue, make it an interview, throw questions out there, tell me what you want help. Does that feel good? You can, j- they can say that to you. He can, if he's the one who's interested in dirty talk or tender talk, he can draw it out of you while he's stuffing it into you.
9: Hi, Dan, I need some guidance from you. So my problem is basically that I'm a shy dom and I don't really know how to move forward from here. So I, I've only become, I was a late bloomer to sex. I only, I've only been sexually active for two years. And in that time I've come to terms with my budding dominant bedroom personality and that's been a lot of fun Um, I'm currently in a pretty committed relationship with another woman or non-monogamous she and I have explored kink and that's been really fun she's really encouraging of my sort of self exploration I'm wondering how I can just step this up a notch sleeping with multiple people with other people is really important to me because it's really important for me to sort of make up for some of the time that I lost growing up because of a religious upbringing. So I really want to take advantage of my freedom and explore as much as I can and have a lot of fun. Um, But, but I'm, I'm just shy about it. Uh, Another complicating factor is that I have uh, vulvodynia, which is a medical condition that can cause, that causes me a lot of pain uh, with certain kinds of sex acts. So bringing another person into the mix, just kind of, Feels a little bit scary right now. I haven't had a secondary sex partner for almost a year at this point. I've just been with my primary partner, but I really want to continue sleeping with other people. I really want to continue learning how to be more dominant in a skillful way. Um, I would love to have another Dom show me the rope, so to speak, but how do I go about finding somebody who can help me. Um, I just feel like as a Dom, there's a pressure to or an expectation to be confident and sort of like, you know what you're doing. Uh, but I have a lot of questions and I'm not very confident yet. And I would like to be.
3: Joining me by phone to help tackle this question, Maduri leads the Forte Femme Women's Dominance Intensive. She founded Rope Dojo in 2002 and wrote the first English language instruction book on Shibari. Hey, Maduri, thank you for jumping on the phone. It's been too long since we've had you on.
0: Hey, it's great to be back. And hi, everyone.
3: So this uh, woman is interested in, uh, you know, exploring her sexuality and she's a dominant, but she doesn't have much experience or confidence and is worried that if she goes into an encounter with a new partner where she's supposed to be the the dominant, that the expectation is that she will, you know, be completely confident and completely skilled and know what she's doing. How does she address that? What does she do?
0: Okay. So there is this myth out there that, you know, if you're, if you're engaging in dominance that you are, you should be all knowing, and like have all the toys and all the knowledge and all the secret rooms and and be independently wealthy and whatever the hell um, and the have all thing, the helicopters, that, right? Absolutely. And I wish because if that were the case, I'd be helicoptering to you right now. Um, but yeah, and that's a myth, obviously, and it's a lovely fantasy. Now, here's the one thing she is an absolute expert at that no one else is is that she is an expert in herself. She is an expert in herself, and that's the, that's the one thing that we don't often think about. We are an expert in our own selves, and if we take a moment to pay attention, we are an expert in what feels good and what doesn't feel good and what feels a little scary but exciting.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: My advice to people who are newly exploring their dominance is be Enthusiastically open about their enthusiasm and ignorance. In other words, okay. So if I were you know, if I were to play with you, I would say, Oh my God, I really, 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 really want to um, dominate you, and I'm excited about that. And I don't know what the hell I'm doing, and I am going to explore this with you. And I could make mistakes, but you got to tell me if something's not working. So enthusiastic want of dominance and diving into it and being completely open with, I don't know what I'm doing, but here we go. Yippee!
3: And then, you know, if you don't know what you're doing, you want to, you know, baby steps. You don't want to do varsity level kink or BDSM play. You don't want to do suspension bondage the first time you attempt bondage. You want to do the simpler stuff and and, and work Mm, your way up and, and, and gain experience as you go but dominance can be very simple dominance doesn't have to involve absolutely props and costumes it just
0: in fact dominance yeah dominance can involve taking your regular good sex whatever your regular good sex is and instead of phrasing a request phrase it as a demand
3: <laughs>
0: or phrase it as a command so let's say Your regular good sex, the one that you don't consider kinky, right, involves going down on your partner. Honey, would you go down on me? Lovely. All right. Now, you say instead, honey, you will go down on me. Now we have dominance. Simple. Yeah. And then you add blindfold.
3: Blindfolds I think are very important for inexperienced DOMs who aren't oh attempting anything anything they aren't skilled at, who aren't like trying to do suspension bondage, who aren't trying to, you know, sound somebody without ever having, you know, been trained by somebody who knows what they're doing, or fist somebody without, you know, mm. being trained by somebody who knows what they're doing. But a blindfold on a sub, you know, if you're fumbling with, you know, the simple ropes that you're using or the simple restraints that you're using, if you're having a moment where you're just like trying to untangle something and you feel like you look mm-hmm. ridiculous, the sub not to be able to see you at that moment can really help sustain for the sub the you know the scene and for you you're you're the sense of the confidence of the sub in you oh and often it's that Absolutely. which undermines a dom's confidence is that, you know, the sense the sub is looking at me and thinking, oh, my God, they don't know what they're doing. When you're just having mm-hmm. a moment of, you know, physics, like a rope is tangled and it takes a second to untangle it. That's not about ignorance or incompetence. That's just about physical things. Logistics. World, right? Logistics.
0: Yeah. It's just logistics. Blindfold. and One of my favorite advice, along with you are an expert of yourself and enthusiasm is that you know? blindfold is your best friend. It gives you a moment to take a breath and and look around and have the befuddled face. Yeah, the blindfold also makes a regular kiss into a moment of anticipation. Yeah, blindfold allows also the person receiving it, the person who's submitting, an opportunity to sink into their fantasy instead of being self-conscious.
3: Mm-hmm. blindfold's great. Blindfolds dark, great. Now, now tell us about Forte Femme. That's a, a weekend intensive that you've run for many years for women who want to explore dominance. But, you know, for women yeah. who are in the same position this woman is. In. She wants to grow into mm-hmm. her, you know, the, the dominance that speaks to her sexually. Her, her Not her dominant persona, but, you know, the fact that she is a dominant sexually. And and there's oh, a lot yeah. of women out there who, I think, come to that later in life because female sexuality is so repressed. It often seems, you know, generalizations about men and women, generalizations about billions of people, uh, there will be hundreds of millions of exceptions, but it often seems that women come to a realization of their kinks later in life than men do. Uh, and women often, you know, kind of have to play a, a catch up, you know, or, or or go somewhere where they're sort of encouraged to really own their sexual desires. And that's what happens at Forte Femme.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes. Forte Femme is a three-day weekend intensive, myself and nine women. And we dive deep into our own power source. And, and it's not about the, the stereotype, what I call the screaming, she-banshee porno model dominance, but rather giving each woman an ability to tap into her authentic power source. We do a lot of shadow work, right? And, and we do a lot of uh, um, communication skills of what I call my uh, pleasure spy skills of finding out what our desires are in the moment and what our partner's desires are in order to co-create Kinky Joy. And the skills that, that we learn in ForteFM actually translates into how to co-create and collaborate and set boundaries, and make asks for what we want in our everyday lives. So it's it's a powerful weekend. It's a tough weekend. It's not about the waki poki bindy, the techniques of how to use the tools, because there's plenty of resources for that. Cause I don't know if I teach a bunch of those. But it's digging into you know, how do you tap into to that which... Maybe society has squashed, or family of origins, culture of origins have denied, or information that that you've had misinformation, and the whole thing about kink is about. And even when we're when we're playing with you know, power over and dominance, it really is about how do we play together and play better together. You know, it's it's my def- my definition of BDSM is childhood joyous play with adult sexual privilege and cool toys. It's cops and robbers with
3: fucking. I love that. I- I've always said it's cops and robbers <laughs> with your pants off and orgasms, but I love that joyous childhood play with, you know, adult sexual freedom and, and awesome toys. I love that quote of yours. And I've shared that with so many people. <laughs> Thank um, you. A-, a screenshot I actually took from your Instagram account. Now there's a, there's a Forte Femme that's coming up.
0: There's a Forte Femme coming up in San Francisco and New York. I do this in New York and San Francisco. I, I have this uh, rent this beautiful uh, loft and apartment space, so it's an immersive experience.
3: And and where can people who want to find out more about Forte or want to attend Forte find information about it online?
0: fortefm.com f-o-r-t-e-f-e-m-m-e.com and then and if Fort a little much to to chew off in a moment I I teach shorter classes evening classes and private classes and that they can find at uh, well if I'm on social media as Planet Midori so that's probably the easiest place is to track me down on Planet Midori I'm going down to L.A. soon i 'm going to where am I at l a New York, Chicago? I travel, I teach, and then there are some people that that need to do private classes with me and small group private classes as well that 's another way too because not everyone can travel, not everyone can go to public classes and sometimes people have very specific very specific training needs and questions and coachings
3: let 's talk about one of the callers specific. Yeah. questions, uh, her unique circumstance. She has vulvodynia, which is uh, mm-hmm. pain localized to, to the vulva, sometimes the clitoris, sometimes constant, sometimes just during sex uh, or just during, you know, some other engagement of, of the vulva or vagina, inserting a tampon, but it can be intense. Uh, and she has an advantage here as as a dominant. If what she's looking for are BDSM or DS- encounters, you know, if you go into vanilla sex with other partners, there's going to be this expectation that vaginal intercourse or vaginal play is on the menu. But if you're going into a DS encounter or a BDSM encounter, you can take that off the menu.
0: Absolutely. And then to consider the whole body and the whole mind as, as the sexual and erotic potential. Right. My, My heart and my pussy goes out to her on the so, and I'm hoping that she's got really great medical support on that. And yay for the BDSM, because yeah, you're right, it it brings in the whole body and the whole mind and desire and expands the idea of pleasure, because let's face it, in the U.S., we tend to have a very limited idea of what sex and pleasure is.
3: And people sometimes have have a, a skewed notion of what BDSM can be yes BDSM you know the sub is sometimes sexually servicing the dom but there are a lot of Mm -hmm. scenes where the dom is sexually servicing the sub where the sub is restrained or the sub is stimulated or the sub is masturbated or penetrated with toys and the dom never even undresses or takes their pants off. And so the Dom's genitals don't necessarily, in a really successful, really hot, really satisfying BDSM scene for the sub, the Dom's genitals don't necessarily have to even make an appearance. So for the caller, if you have vulvodynia and, you know, any sort of play that engages your or vagina is tricky for you and you want to reserve that for your primary partner who understands, you can do that and still have other encounters, BDSM encounters with other partners and successful ones.
0: Absolutely. And not to mention, um, exploring exploring other parts of her body as a sexual potential. I mean, my God, a fantastic back scratching. Right? And great stuff with the nipples. I mean, there are there's like really neat neat things that can be done with the body. I mean I know uh um one of my students who loves to have her hair brushed as service while well, while her boy is in chastity. And for her, that's luxury and skin stimulation and attention. And for her guy, it's service and frustration. And like, that's the, and yeah, that's, that's like one snapshot of what it could look like.
3: I'm always telling people that where they get into trouble is, you know, when they are, are worried that someone might think they're inept or inexperienced and they go mm-hmm. into a sexual encounter fronting or pretending that they know more than they do or they're more experienced than they are because they want to avoid the awkwardness of being perceived to be inexperienced. You guarantee awkwardness then because the person's going to pick up on the fact that you're faking or pretending or that you don't know what you're doing and and lying to them and it's much better just to admit it like i'm a little like i'm little inexperienced and let's like do this together and it's really important i think for a dom to be you know upfront about being inexperienced and you know knowing what you do know and not knowing what you don't and and being honest about it as it's often the case that it's you know, there are more submissives out there than doms. There are a lot of people out there who are growing into dominance, who are, who are you know, um, being the dominant in the relationship to meet the needs of their partner who's, you know, wanting to explore being a sub. What would your advice be for that sub who's, you know, growing someone into dominance or whose partner is, what, what's the best way for the sub to not engineer a dominant partner out of a vanilla partner, but to bring the dominance out in a partner who really wants to go there for them?
0: one, patience. If this per- if the person who's submitting has, let's say, 15 different things, no, 50 different things that want to happen in a scene, do not list all of those 50s at once, ever, because that's intimidating and terrifying and diminishing. And boy, it can really uh, enhance the sense of inadequacy. Instead, Listen to their fantasies. Ask about, hey, have you ever had a naughty fantasy? I'd love to help you make it happen around how you want it. Put the other person in the center and tiny little baby steps. And when things don't quite go the way that the person who's dominating wants to, then and just, just be kind and, and keep it in the spirit of experimentation. It's all an experiment. It's play. Yeah.
3: Madhuri, thank you so much.
0: Hey, you're welcome. I'm, I'm glad to talk to you guys again.
3: Learn more about ForteFemme at ForteFemme.com. And you can find Madhuri on social media on all the platforms at Planet Midori. Thank you again, Madhuri. It's always a pleasure chatting with you.
10: Thanks. Hi, Dan, Nancy, and the tech savvy at risk youth. I'm a 29-year-old female, cis female from Melbourne, Australia, bisexual. And I have an inquiry about you know, your experience of like multiple people in a relationship. I'm not strictly poly, although I have dated poly people. Um, I was kind of screwed over by someone who wanted to be monogamous with me last year. Um, who like dumped me unceremoniously and it kind of put me off the whole thing. So I didn't date for a while. And then I met these two guys and I started dating them simultaneously because you know, why not? They were both cute. And I knew for sure I didn't want to make any decisions about them for like at least three to six months. You know, I thought like they would turn out to be assholes or something. Anyway, it's been six months and they're both so fucking beautiful and I love them so much and I want to keep dating them. Um, But their problem is, is they're both monogamous and one of them is not seeing anyone else. He's 37. I'm his first relationship after a divorce and he's so great. But the, the other one's 25. He has been sleeping with other people, but I've always been his kind of primary romantic partner since we started dating six months ago. They know about each other. It's been consensual completely since the beginning. Um, When I'm with one of them, I don't, you know, I'm like my hundred percent focuses on them and the other one respects that, but it's getting harder. It's getting more challenging to continue doing this. And I'm worried that something's going to crack. Anyway, it's not really a throuple because they don't really know each other. They've never met. And I, I can't really talk to this about anybody else. Like nobody, none of my monogamous friends understand this. Even my poly friends don't get like the limitation on it. It's basically like I'm in two simultaneous monogamous relationships. Anyway, I just want to know if you've heard of something like this before. Is there any chance that this can work? And like, do you have any advice about it? Or is it something that I'm just, I'm just being greedy and trying to make this work is a problem. It's worth noting that neither of them are in a place to get more serious with me. And yet the idea is there that at some point I'm going to choose and somebody's heart will be broken. So I'm curious to hear what you think. Um, any advice is really would be really helpful.
3: You describe both the men that you're currently seeing as monogamous, except that they're obviously not monogamous. The 37-year-old is only dating you, but he knows that you are also dating someone else, that you're in a relationship with someone else. So this person you describe as monogamous is in a poly relationship of his own free will. And the 25-year-old you're dating is dating other people and seriously dating you, which is an odd thing for someone who describes themselves as monogamous to be doing what they would like, or perhaps what they mean when they describe themselves as monogamous is that they ultimately picture themselves in a committed monogamous relationship, in a couple that's exclusive, that that's their long-term goal. But at the moment, they are not in monogamous relationships. So they are not being monogamous. And it may be possible that in the future, they may come around, that they may decide that this poly relationship that they're in works for them and perhaps polyamory works for them. Now, we have monogamy as the default assumption, as a default want, really beaten into our heads. And sometimes we have to sort of stumble into a non-monogamous relationship and be in that relationship for a while before we realize that perhaps monogamy wasn't a choice we made, but a choice that was made for us. When you get out there in the world and you meet people in open or polyamorous relationships, very few of them will tell you that they were open from the start or that they even wanted an open relationship from the start. There's really a kind of false consciousness around monogamy. It's what everyone is expected to want. It's what everyone is told that good people want. We like to think of ourselves as good people. And so we embrace monogamy as a concept and monogamy as a goal, even if we aren't being monogamous currently. And at some point, some of us realize, Oh, you know what we're doing right now, the choices we're making right now are our choices. And we don't have to pay allegiance to the expected choice, to the culturally dominant endorsed choice, monogamy, to be good people or to have good and decent relationships. So I would, if I were you, allow this to continue to play out. You're stressing yourself out right now about something that could happen in the future. At some point in the future, one or the other of both of your partners may issue an ultimatum that you have to pick, that they're ready for a monogamous commitment, which your 37-year-old boyfriend who's getting out of a serious relationship or just recently did isn't asking for now. And your 25 year old boyfriend isn't asking for now. In the end, it's possible that neither of them will ask you to make that choice. It's possible. Both of them will realize that what you're doing now, what all three of you are doing together now, the poly V triad relationship that you are all in now works for them. So stop stressing out about something that might happen in the future. And you're making an assumption that this will ultimately be your decision to make. These relationships are just six months each. Relationships run their course. Your 25-year-old boyfriend who is sleeping with and dating casually other people may meet someone and decide that they want to be in a monogamous relationship with that other person and absent themselves from your life. And then this choice won't be one that you have to make. It won't be a trigger that you have to pull. It could wind up being made for you. Stop stressing out about something that might not happen and stop assuming that you're in complete control here and this is ultimately a situation where you're going to have to break a heart. might not play out that way.
2: So
4: what would I do Um, in my situation? I am interested in the BDSM lifestyle and even about bisexuality. My parents, my whole family, the rest of my family is very religious. I don't want to bring it up to them, and I know that they wouldn't approve. I have different devices that they've put on my computer and phone to keep me from watching pornography or talking to people about these kinds of things. So, what can I do to fix the situation? And how would you suggest that somebody uh, get into these types of lifestyles
3: kink sites like fat life like recon dating apps these are how people find their way into the bdsm community this is how people find their way into kink communities this is how people particularly people interested in same-sex relationships these days overwhelmingly find partners whether they're partners for a couple hours or partners for life most same-sex couplings start online So, the first thing that you're going to have to do before you can find your way into BDSM communities or find same sex partners to explore with is get the fuck out of your parents' house. Get out from under your parents' control. Get your own phone. Pay for your own phone. Get your own computer that doesn't have these filters on it. You don't mention your age. That would have been helpful information. If you're 17 or 18 years old and still in high school and still living at home, well, It may be some time before you can explore these desires. Once you get to college, once you have some freedom or you graduate from high school and get a job and move the fuck out of your controlling religious parents' house, you'll have more latitude, more control over your own life. All that said, you know, there was a time before the internet and there were still kinky people interested in BDSM. And there were still guys out there who were bisexual and interested in exploring that with other guys, gay or bi. And they managed to find each other, whether or not they had religious parents at home and without access to computers. So look around. Go to a public library and see if there isn't a kink organization in your city. See if there isn't a thing called a munch in your city or nearby that you can attend And you may be able to find your way into a kink space, maybe able to find your way to a kink party or meet some other people who are kinky without having to violate the sanctity of your parents' computer or use your phone like an adult might use their phone. But the real solution here is independence. You need to get out of your parents' house and you need to get your own computer, your own phone, and you need to pay for them yourself so you can have the freedom to explore online and find partners online, which again is how most kinky people and most queer people find their way in to the kink situations and the sex situations that they want to find their way into. Good luck.
1: Hi, Dan. I'm getting married next year, and currently it is supposed to be a very small wedding under 100 people, preferably under 80. And I'm having some issues with guest list. I'm having some issues with my future mother-in-law. She is inviting people even she doesn't like, has made it very clear that these people on her list are problematic for her, but she wants to invite them to, you know, quelch any possible conflict that might arise. I think that's absolutely absurd. I think the idea of inviting people to your wedding that you don't even like or inviting people to your wedding that you don't want to share, uh, you know, your special day with is insane. I have already made cuts to my side. So I feel like it's only fair to ask to make cuts to the other side, but you know, she bursts into tears every time I even mention it. And, you know, I think this is some form of manipulation. I feel like I'm being, you know, taken advantage of because she knows that I have a hard time saying no to her in a way that I don't have a hard time saying no to my own mom. So I'm just kind of at a loss. And I've already told my fiance like, Hey, you've got to take control of the situation, but she's kind of at a loss too. Like, He gets it, but I don't know. We're just in a tough situation, and your advice would be helpful.
3: It's not your job to say no to his mom. It's his job to say no to his mom, and you're just going to have to power through the tears. It's a really simple answer, and it's going to be a short answer. She cries when you tell her no, and then you back down. But you ultimately don't want to have all these fucking people at your wedding and you don't have to have all these people at your fucking wedding. You're just going to have to stare down your mother-in-law's tears, which may be manipulative, which may be genuine. In either case, manipulative or genuine, irrelevant. You're pairing your guest list down to 80. She gets to invite a certain number of people just as your mother got to invite a certain number of people. She should let you know the names of the people that she would like to invite, but it cannot exceed 6 or 10 or 12 or whatever the mother-in-law's allowance is just like your mother's allowance, whatever that number was the same. And if she cries and cries and cries, well, if she cries and cries and cries and cries. Eventually she will be so dehydrated. She drops dead problem solved or she will stop crying, but you're just gonna have to power through the tears. All right, before we get to response calls, let's read some of your Savage Lovecast tweets. When Frugalish Physician asked Twitter what people were loving right now, Canadian KMD responded, I recently got back into listening to the Savage Lovecast after several years. Dan Savage's columns were what turned this minister's kid into a sex-positive, reproductive, health-focused adult. So it's been fun listening to the podcast again. Hey, K, welcome back. Glad to have you listening again. Tiana the Cupcake tweets, I'm literally coming out of Twitter retirement to tell at fake Dan Savage that he's been continuously messing up by calling it twatful thinking. Clitful thinking, Dan. Clitful thinking. Hashtag Savage I guess clitful thinking is a better companion to the original, which was dickful thinking, which is, of course, riffing on wishful thinking. I should stick with the... Eh, sound. Clitful, dickful, wishful. You're right, Tiana the Cupcake, and I will try to remember that it is clitful thinking from here on out. Finally, Lauren Robin tweets, oh yeah, I've seen two mommies host a gender reveal party for their son. So it does happen. There are same-sex couples out there, apparently at least one that one Lovecast listener knows of who've had a gender reveal party for their kid. Ew, yuck. Same-sex couples, please don't do that. Opposite-sex couples, please don't do that. All right. If you want me to read your tweet on an upcoming episode of Savage Lovecast, be sure to use the hashtag Savage Lovecast. And now your response calls.
7: Hi, Dan. I'm a Kingster. I also worked in a juvenile court. And calling about the, uh, the person whose friend had entered a 24 7 Dom sub relationship in front of the children, and then the, the guy who had a history of violence was hurting the animals in front of the children. And you said, if you think that he will progress from hurting the animals to hurting the children, you should call Child Protective Services. Hurting animals in front of children is emotional abuse, is hurting the children. Anyone who's a mandatory reporter absolutely should call Child of Welfare about this couple right now. And frankly, in my opinion, we are all mandatory reporters. Some of us are that mandatory is a legal mandatory. For the rest of us, it's a moral mandatory. The friend absolutely should be calling child welfare immediately.
4: This is a response to the caller in episode 682 who was trying to figure out when to ask that girl on a date. Caller, it sounds like you and I are both very similar. We're both 26 and we're both very apprehensive about asking people out, even if it seems like some of the signs are there. Now, I have managed to ask a couple people out, and the thing I remember about each time is before they even answered, I felt this absolute sense of relief that I just finally put it out there. My feelings were no longer just bottled up inside me. Even though I've been turned down each time, I came away from each interaction feeling that relief and feeling better because I had a, a more solid idea of the relationship between me and that person and what boundaries were there, what boundaries I had to respect. Good luck. Um, Try not to catastrophize your feelings. You will deal with them if they come.
7: Hi, I'm calling in response to episode 682 about sex and long-term relationships. My husband and I have been having sometimes good and sometimes great sex for about 43 years. And our tips for having good sex over the long term are constant flirting and erotic play, and making it part of our general interaction each day, which doesn't need to necessarily lead to sex right then. Also, recognize that your bodies will change, so sex will change, and that's okay.
3: And we're going to leave it there. 206 is the number here at the Savage Lovecast. If you'd like to record a question or a comment for a future show, you can give us a buzz at 206 302 you can also use your phone to pre record using the Voice Memo app and then email that to us at voicemail at savagelovecast.com. We actually prefer those emailed Voice Memo apps because the sound quality is is better this holiday season don't get your loved stuff stuffing things get them me give them me give the gift of the savage lovecast magnum edition which people really love by going to www.savagelovecast.com when you click the gift button they will get it right away so if you want them to receive it on christmas day just do it first thing on christmas morning. Follow me on Twitter at FakeDanSavage. Follow Maduri on Twitter and on Instagram and every other platform at PlanetMaduri. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the tech savvy at-risk youth. And Nancy, we'll all be back at you next week with another installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thanks for downloading and have a happy Thanksgiving.